0: Well, great to see you. If it is your first time here, my name's uh, Michael, and I'm one of the pastors, and just want to uh, add my welcome to your, uh, to your first day experience, and hope this is an awesome experience as you come and experience God's presence with us, and you hear His, His Spirit speaking to you today. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and so inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. We use it every week, and so if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. Y'all ready to go? Yeah. Okay, Let's pray. God, we're just excited as we're continuing to, uh, on this journey. You know today, Lord, just preparing, I was just like so excited as i jumping out of my skin. And so I pray, Lord, that as we come together, that we would just gather as your family, as your children underneath your leadership, and that as our Father, you'd shepherd us. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see today who we are, And the vision you have for our lives in really some new and profound ways. I pray for those who are here who have never yet come to know you that today would be the day, that today would be the day that you would open their heart to respond to the message of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today on a Saturday morning, and it is spectacular. The sky is blue the clouds are high, the birds are singing, and she's not grown up in this city. She actually grew up in another city, but from the time she was young, she was drawn to fashion, and not just fashion, but high fashion, fashion for the rich and famous, And so when this opportunity came to make a major move, but to launch her business in this new city, she jumped at it. And business has been good. Her life has been, from all outward uh, appearances, extremely successful. And yet at the same time, there is a hunger in her heart for something more. She's been on a search for a while. The search actually started back before she moved in the city she grew up in, but it's continued to this day. And so on this day, which is a Saturday, she's going to get up and it's going to start like any other Saturday. She's going to do what she does every Saturday. She's going to get up, she's going to get dressed, she's going to have breakfast, And then she's going to go for a walk. She's going to walk outside the city to the beautiful river that's there. And she makes her way through the familiar city streets, enjoys the beauty of the day. Little does she know that her life is about to change. Well, today, we are continuing a brand new series called The Gospel. And for those of you who are new here, um, this is a series. It's based on a letter from one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is the is Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, um, and he had he had uh, shared the message of Jesus in a. Greek city, a kind of a Roman colony in Greek territory in uh, the first century called Macedonia. It was in modern-day Greece, very close to the, the Europe-Asia uh, border today. And uh, and so uh, it's become one of his favorite churches. And so the reason I'm calling this series The Gospel is because in this letter, more than any of his other 13 letters, the Apostle Paul refers to the gospel uh, more often kind of per page or per chapter or per word than any of his other letters. But that's what we saw last week that his, his message in this letter is not just on the epic message of the gospel, which as we've seen last week is so much bigger and brighter and bolder and higher and wider and deeper and more compelling than we often think it is but his concern is that we would not only understand the epic message of the gospel, but that we would live out the gospel, that we would understand the implications and we would live lives, in his word, worthy of the gospel. And so as I've been putting it, is that what we're gonna learn is the gospel is not just a message to be believed, it's a life to be lived. And so last week, if you are here, we kicked off by looking at the first two verses which is simply the opening greeting from the Apostle Paul. And one of the things that we learned last week is that um, when it comes to the greetings, the introductions in Paul's letters, it's often tempting to skip over them because they seem sort of formal or perfunctory. But what we learned last week is that in these opening greetings and introductions, Paul is actually, they're often like a preview of coming attractions. That in them, Paul is giving us hints and um, kind of indications of where this where this story is going, what the, kind of the key topics he's going to be talking about. And that's very true in this letter to the Philippians. And so today we're going to be looking at the first half of his introduction to this letter. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn on. There in your note sheet you have a section that is called The Gospel, uh, Giving Thanks. And we're going to go ahead... And pick it up at verse 1, just so we catch the flow. And so it's Paul and Timothy, servants, remember last week we learned it's actually slaves, slaves of Christ Jesus. Remember we learned about his name. Every part of that name is, is preaching the gospel. Of Christ, Messiah, Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. To all God's holy people, saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, two of the key Uh, types of leaders in their church. Grace and peace. Remember Greek, charis, uh, peace, shalom. Charis and shalom to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's ready to jump into the intro. He's given his greeting. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you uh, in all my prayers for you. So Paul's always praying for them. Uh, I always pray with joy. And he says, the reason is because of your partnership in the gospel First time we've heard that word, the gospel. Partnership in the gospel um, from the first day until now. Now, I need to do a little sidebar here on the word partnership. This is going to be a very important word for us throughout this whole series. Today, the whole series. So the word that's translated partnership is a famous Greek word. Many of you will have heard it before. It's the word koinonia. Right? So I'm going to spell it out for you. Uh, somebody can visualize this. So it's k o i -uh K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. Now, if you were to look up that word in the most authoritative Greek uh, dictionary of the New Testament, um, it would define it with words like this, um, sharing, Um, communion, not talking about like the Lord's Supper, but a deep communion. Um, fellowship, right? It, it's a word that has a fairly wide semantic range or field. Remember we learned about semantic range in our last series. Remember like the word shot. If I asked you what does the word shot means, well, it depends. Are you at a shooting range, a basketball game, a hospital bed, or a bar, right? So, um, so in the same way, koinonia will vary based on its, where it's used, what it means, But it has to do with this deep sharing, uh, this close relationship sharing. And and so when we come to Jesus, we all receive the Holy Spirit that unites us to the Father and the Son, and we are all united, networked with one another. We enter into this koinonia, this deep sharing in the spiritual realm um, that's lived out in community of Jesus. And so it's interesting, though, because the Apostle Paul also uses the word to describe, uh, use koinonia, like in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he'll use that word to describe uh, financial gifts that flow out from our deep love and sharing to others in need, uh, like the poor. And so what's interesting is what we're going to see in this letter is this is likely one of the things that Paul is saying. He's going to use this word, and we'll see it again today, many times that as followers of Jesus, we share this common life in the gospel, don't we? We, we share this. Um, but what he's going to say, we're going to, when we get to chapter 4, we're going to learn that the apostle Paul since the very first time he shared Jesus with them, and then he left, that over the years, there's many times they have, quote, partnered with him in the gospel by supporting him financially, so they've partnered with him to help advance the gospel, like we would support a missionary today, right? And so uh, it's very likely that here he's talking about this, he's thankful for the partnership we share in Jesus, but specifically, as we're gonna learn, that he is in prison, and the church at Philippi, as I mentioned last week, has just sent uh, one of their key leaders, an amazing guy. We'll, we'll meet him in chapter 2. His name is Epaphrodites. He has come 850 miles to Rome to bring this financial gift, generous gift, from the church to help advance the gospel. And as I mentioned last week, this means a lot to Paul, even more than normal, because in prison, in Roman prisons, they didn't provide food for you. So if you didn't have people on the outside providing, you were going to uh, die sooner. So um, so anyway, so he, he says, so I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your koinonia in the gospel. All right, so koinonia is sharing this fellowship. We share the love of Jesus. We'll see in chapter two, we share communion. We share the love of Jesus. We share this encouragement. We share the persecution that comes with being in Christ. Uh, We are sharers in the gospel, but specifically here, one of the reasons he's writing this letter is to thank you. It's a thank you note. Thank you for this recent gift. And so in verse 6, it says, So being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, so who's that? Who began the good work in them? Yeah, God, right. God began the good work, that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, when the king returns to turn all wrongs to right, to bring in the new creation. He said, So it's right for me to feel this way about you, this deep love and gratitude, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, so this is the first time he's mentioned being in custody. Uh, he's probably chained to a Roman guard much of the time because whether I'm in chains or I'm defending and confirming the gospel, you know, standing before Caesar to defend it or sharing Christ, confirming it outside, uh, all of you share, Now I want you to circle that word. Guess what? It's a word, it's a version of the word koinonia. In the Greek, um, it's not a verb. Like here, it's a verb, share. Uh, in the Greek, it's a noun, but it's an intensified version of koinonia. So it's it's what it's it's like fellow sharers, right? Um, uh, your fellow communion. Okay. So that all of you share, have koinonia in God's grace. We're all in this thing together with me. He said, so God can testify, he's the one who can seize my heart, how I long for you all with the affection of Messiah Jesus. And so I have this deep love for you. And he says, God can testify that I have this deep love and it's not just my love, it's a supernatural love. It's actually the love that Jesus has for you that he's put in my heart. Uh, because of this share. So he starts off this introduction, I'm I'm praying for you all the time, and I'm just so thankful for you and what God's done in your life, and we get to share in the life of the gospel together, and particularly so thankful for this recent gift, and it's appropriate for me to feel this way, because whatever is going on with me, you're in my heart. In fact, this word here, for where he says this, a deep affection is a Greek word that speaks of like your internal organs, your intestines. It's often used to describe deep compassion. So, like we talk about a heart, you know, they, they would often have the compassion of their, their uh, in the old King James, your bowels or your intestines, you know, but it's just a, a deep emotional work. so I love you because of what God's doing, the affection Uh, the deep affection of Jesus has for you. I share that, I enter into. All right, so that's the passage. And so what I'm gonna do, next week we'll go on for the second half and we'll look at the prayer he's actually praying for them. He'll, He'll tell us what he's praying, which will give us insights into what's going on in Philippi and what his top concerns are. Um, but for today, I want to highlight two critical gospel principles, all right? We're going to learn some two basic gospel principles that are going to be very important for us today. Uh, and at the end, I'm going to come back and ask two questions to kind of, uh, kind, of, kind of draw us in and apply those principles to our life. So there in your note sheet, the Gospel 101, uh, two key principles. And so the first thing that Paul says as we jump in is the gospel is supernatural, the first thing we see today is that the Gospel is supernatural, so at the core of the gospel, and remember i don 't know if i, I don 't think I mentioned this last week, but the gospel was an important word in the ancient world, both in Jews for Jews, and Gentiles for different reasons. but in the Roman Empire, remember he 's writing to a Roman colony, and the Roman Empire. The word gospel in Greek is the word euangelion, uh, good news, was a word that was used by the emperor to announce major cataclysmic, uh, cataclysmic big news in the empire. So, for example, when the new heir was born to the Caesar, that would be perhaps euangelion, that would be sent out, good news throughout the empire. Um, when, um, say, a new, uh, a new empire would, as, uh, would, a, would rise to the throne and take power, that would be a euangelion. It was a powerful word of empire. And so, uh, so uh, when you look at the announcement of the gospel, the announcement of the gospel at its heart, it's an announcement that the God who's the creator has entered into history to fulfill his promises both to our first parents in the garden and to the nation of Israel that one day God would come to restore all wrongs, turn all wrongs to right, and bring in a new creation. And the message of the gospel is that that has happened, that God has broken into human history through the man Jesus Christ, the God-man, to rescue and restore all All creation. It's a supernatural message. And what we're going to see today, today for the very first time, Paul mentions the word gospel. And what's interesting is the first time he uses the term right away, we're going to see how supernatural the gospel is in our lives. So if you look, for example, at chapter 1 and verse 4, He says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, so who's that? God. God who began, it's supernatural, God who began a good work in you, he will what? Carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus, when Jesus returns to turn all wrongs to right, to bring in the new heavens, and the, the new creation. Now, I want to talk for a second about that, that phrase there, where it says that he who began he will carry it to completion. That is a single word in Greek, to carry it to completion. I want to give you the word. We're not always going to do as so much Greek stuff, but I think this is actually worth it. So... Uh, the word in Greek is epitaleo, right? So if you might want to write this down, just so you can visualize, epi, E-P-I, and then teleo, T-E-L-E-O, okay? E-P-I-T-E-L-E-O. It's made up of two words. Epi is a preposition. It's like um, above, uh, toward, um, uh, uh, under it's like a preposition it means different things in different settings teleo is a verb that means to bring to completion right so it, it has to do with bringing something to its appointed end. um like we see in our culture um you you may be familiar with this word sometimes we'll talk about the telos and the telos means the end um the the ultimate goal of something and it comes from this greek word and so epitalele means to bring a process to its appointed end so what paul is saying so let's kind of review this real quick so so who starts the process god who finishes the process brings it to its close god and when and when will he bring it to its close when Christ returns, so He starts the process in a person's life. He continues the process their whole life. He brings it to completion when Jesus returns. We receive new bodies. We're glorifying right. So, so, uh, so God is. So this thing is supernatural from beginning to end. So I want you to think of this in terms of flip this house. All right, <laughs> that theological show you all seen it. <laughs> Okay, if you are ever seen Flip This House, right, you know, it's, you, know you buy an old beater-up house, and then you're going to renovate it, and then you're going to sell it and make lots of money, right? So that's where the analogy breaks down. But <laughs> basically what Paul is saying is that when someone comes to Jesus, it is supernatural from beginning to end. He is the one who picks you as his house. He is the one that designs the remodel. He is the one that hires the contractors to make sure it's done according to specification. And when you get done, you will be what he envisioned you to be. You see this? He he is the general contractor on the job of your life. And it starts with him, And he continues it every step along the way, and he's gonna bring it to completion. You follow? Okay, now, what I wanna do today is I wanna focus on an example of how God starts the process. He who began a good work in you. I wanna focus today, when we get to chapter two, the middle of chapter two, in like five or six weeks, that we will see how he continues the process, right? So the gospel is supernatural today, about five or six weeks, are going to be a point, the gospel is supernatural. That we're going to focus on how it starts today, how it continues then. Are you with me? All right, so today we started the story, we started the day with the story of a woman who grew up in a city and then had the opportunity to move a long ways away and launch a business in the fashion industry that had always been her passion, who's done extremely well, and yet there's a hunger for something more, and she's on a search. That is the story of the first convert in Philippi. So if you were to turn to Acts 16, which you don't do this now, but um, you can check it out later, see if I'm telling the truth. Um, now we'll actually look at the passage part of it later. So, uh, if you return to, to Acts 16, what you see is that when, when um, that there, we're going to be introduced to a woman named in, in Acts 16, Luke is going to give us three vignettes of the of three conversions in Philippi. So, when Paul says, "God who began a good work in you," he he was there. This is one of the women he's talking about. So, her name is Lydia. We're told that she grew up in what is now modern day Turkey, in a in a major city of Thyatira. Thyatira was very famous for its production of purple cloth, which in the ancient world was used for uh, rich and famous and royalty. It was high-end, exclusive fabric. So somewhere along the line, she decides to move from Thyatira 350 miles away, which remember, it's on by foot. It's not like, you know, just go to Burbank. Um... Now I am just going to San Francisco from Burbank, you know. Um, and so she's going to make a major move to the Roman colony of Philippi, and she launches her business there, which makes sense. She's going to have all the ties to this production center to import this high-end cloth. And so what we learn about, though, is her spirit, and she's done very well there. We'll see today she has a major estate, apparently. She's got a household. Um, and so what we're going to see today is that spiritually she's been on a journey. Because we're told that she's, she's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. So a Gentile in, East Asia, in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And so that means she's grown up in one way or another as a pagan. Uh, she may have worshipped, her family may have worshipped uh, the gods of, uh, you know, kind of Rome. Um, uh, the gods of Greece and Rome. Um, the gods uh, of house, household gods, you know, like... Uh, you know, if you remember that, that movie Gladiator, and they always carry little household gods. you know? So it may have been, like, that, that may her background. It may have been that her parents or her background was into Greco-Roman philosophy. Maybe she, they were into Stoicism or you know, Seneca or something like that. Uh, we don't know. Or maybe she was in the Eastern mystery religions that were very popular in the Eastern part of the empire. So we don't know. But she's pagan, right? She's, she's a Gentile. And so at some point, though, uh, Luke identifies her as a God-fearer, and that's a technical term in Acts to describe someone who's a Gentile who converts, at least at some level, to Judaism. Uh, and so it's not a full conversion, but like you, you, go, you, you believe in the God of Israel, you worship Him, you read the Hebrew Scriptures, you follow some of the laws, you go to synagogue, that sort of thing. Now, what's interesting is likely this search began for her before she moved to Philippi. Um, And the reason is because um, there was a major Jewish population in Thyatira, where she was from. There was hardly any Jews in Philippi, Uh, there wasn't even a synagogue, and you need 10 Jewish men for a synagogue. So so she's been on this spiritual journey. What's interesting is she's converted to Judaism. Um, And she's continued to follow the God of Israel even after she moves to Philippi. Um, And remember, in the ancient world, as through much of history, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. And so in spite of that, she is worshiping the God of Israel. she 's kind of get a feel for this woman: very successful, on a search, converted to Judaism. And so, on this particular Saturday, she's going to get up and she's going to walk outside the city of Philippi, and she's going to go out to the river there. So, in ancient times, when there wasn't a synagogue in a city, they would often gather by a river—a beautiful place of, uh, you know, to have a place of prayer. And so on this particular day, that's what she's doing just like she does every Saturday. But on this particular day, it's her lucky day because the Apostle Paul and his team have just come to town and there's no we, we read about that last week, how the Holy Spirit had led them, but there was no synagogue there, so they're gonna go outside town to look for a place outside by the river, which would be typical to have some Jewish people there praying, and when they get there, as far as we know, there's no men, there's only women there, and so this would probably be a combination of Jewish women and God-fearing women praying, and so when they come, Uh, what happens is that the apostle Paul shares the gospel. He shares the message that God has kept his promise and from the line of, I'm reading this into it. I'm based on his other sermons in acts. But based on uh, that God has kept his promise that from the line of David, the great king has come through his life, death, and resurrection, we can receive salvation, and all of, his, all of the world can be healed until when he comes back again, and so that by, entering into, by by believing in him and following him as your Lord, that you can be saved. And so we're told that she responds to that message. In fact, she, uh, she brings her whole household to hear that message, and they all come to Christ. So this is how Luke talk, describes her conversion. Now, remember the point. The point is salvation is supernatural and we're looking at how it starts. God who began a good work. So there in your note sheet, in Acts chapter 16, it says, one of those listening while he's at the river was a woman. She was from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth and she was a worshiper of God, this God-fearer. And so the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And so when she and the members of her house were baptized, so somewhere in there, uh, the members of her house hear the gospel and they all get baptized together. Now notice that the moment they give their life to Jesus, they get baptized. That's what you see in the early church. That's why I often say in the early church, the concept of an unbaptized believer would be an oxymoron. In the early church, if you're not baptized, you're not a believer. Not because you need salvation to be, not be baptized to be saved, but because that's the way you say you want in. It's kind of like a person that says, I want to get married, but's never put on the ring or gone through a ceremony. Well, they've not married, they haven't gone through that, you know? So, anyway, so he says, The Lord opened her heart to respond, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And so it's a fairly large place. Uh, Notice she has a household, which probably refers not only to her family. Interesting, there's no husband involved here. So whether he's just not part of the story or maybe he's died or whatever, she seems to almost be on her own. And um, so uh, maybe a single woman, a single successful business kind of entrepreneurial woman, she invites us to her home, and she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, in other words, if you believe my conversion is real, she said, come and stay at my house. So I'm assuming it's a villa of some, there's like room there for these four guys in the party. And she persuaded us. And so from this point on then, apparently this becomes the hub of the gospel advancement in Philippi. My hunch would be that this is where the early church in Philippi met, probably in Lydia's house, all right? Now, but what I want you to catch uh, is that remember what, what Paul, what I'm, the point here is that Paul says that God who began a good work in you Well, Lydia was one of those people 10 years before that he's talking about. God began a good work in her. And I want you to notice how Luke describes this phenomena. Look what he says there in the middle. It says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And this is what we see is that the gospel is supernatural In other words, no one can come to Jesus apart from a supernatural work of God in their life. It's impossible. She was able to come because the Lord opened her heart to respond. Jesus said something very similar. In John chapter 6, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise him up on the last day, the day of Christ Jesus. The biblical authors always think in terms of the story of the gospel that's going to come to this end of this certain point, we're living this point, this life, in, in light of that life. So Jesus says the same thing. So what I want you to catch is that when someone comes to Jesus, it's not because there was just an amazing presentation of the gospel. It's not because we played just as I am one more time. Now, catch this, the Lord may use all of that. I'm not arguing for sloppy presentations of the gospel. The Lord may use all that, but the reason someone comes to Jesus is because the Father is drawing them. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, there in your note sheet, he says, no one can say what? Jesus is Lord. In the early church, this is probably the first we believe, scholars believe this is the first confession. What it means to be a Christian, you say Jesus is Lord. Now, remember we learned Lord last week is not a religious term in their day. Lord was a political term. It was the, the Lord, it, it, could, it could be as little as sir, you know, sir, but at the highest level, it referred to Caesar. Caesar is Lord. He is God. He is a God. He is uh, the Savior of the realm, and and the message was, "No, there's a new Lord in town." That, based on his life, his death, his ascension to sit at the right hand of God, Jesus is Lord. He is King over creation. And Paul says, "No one can say that, and mean it." that he is Lord of creation and he's my Lord and I've come under him. No one can say that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is supernatural. He who began a good work in you. Now what this means is that if you're a follower of Jesus, and let me define that, I do not mean you simply raised your hand at one meeting, wrote your name in the back of a card, walked an aisle, or even got baptized. Those are all good things, and they may have led to your salvation. The way I know whether you're saved is Jesus your Lord. If Jesus is Lord to you, and you've brought your life under his leadership, then we have reason to believe that a work of God has happened in your life. If you raise your hand at 12, when you're in seventh grade at a campfire in a very emotional time, you walked an aisle at a harvest crusade, there's no fruit in your life, no change, no repentance, no evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. There is no reason to believe that you are saved. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. All right? So, but what I'm saying is, if you are a follower of Jesus, and Jesus is your Lord, here's what I want you to catch. And I say this often, and I will keep on saying it until you believe me. If Jesus is your Lord, there is more to you than meets the eye. God has begun. In fact, Paul will describe your life as partaking in the new creation. What's the gospel? The gospel is that through Jesus, all creation will be restored, the new creation will come. And what Paul says, if you look there in your note sheet in 2 Corinthians 5, is if anyone is in Christ, in other words, they've come to Jesus, he's their Lord, the new creation has come. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying this end of time event, new creation, has reached into time in your life. The new creation has already started in you. The powers of the coming age have started in you. You are part of the new creation that's coming and what you will be does not yet appear, but when he appears, you will be like him. The new creation has started. You are not the same person. You are not simply a sinner saved by grace. Grace. Yes, we are all sinners and yes, we're all saved by grace, but that is not the description of you. You are a son or a daughter of the King. The new creation has come. And the transformation that you began to experience when you came to Jesus, the change of heart, the change of affection, the change of values, the change of priorities, the new love you have for God and others, that, my brothers and sisters, is the first signs of spring. And the full harvest is coming. The gospel is supernatural. Number two, the second core concept of the the gospel, kind of one-on-one, is that the gospel is for everyone. We just studied the story. we just going to walk you through this story of Lydia. Think, who, think with me who she was. She was a high class, a fairly high cultured, um, ambitious, entrepreneurial, successful businesswoman who had a spiritual hunger in her heart, had converted to Judaism in spite of perhaps persecution. She was a churchgoer. and she needed the gospel. In Luke chapter 16, we're given two other examples of how the gospel works in people's life. And these two other conversions are radically different. Let me just kind of walk you through them. The first one is the gospel encounter. Let's call it that, because I'm not sure she came to Christ. You would think so, but I'll tell you the story. It's just, Lucius doesn't say. But she was a slave. So she was at the other end of the social spectrum. We learned last week, slaves have no rights in Rome. They can be murdered at any time by their, their master. That's fine. You can do anything to a slave. If a woman's a slave, you want to have sex with your slave, that's fine. It's all legal, right? So this woman had supernatural giftings but they were not from the light side, they were from the dark side. So she had occult giftings. So she had what Luke describes as a python spirit, which is a spirit of divination, a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. And as a result of her that, her masters made a lot of money off of her. And so as Paul was, and his team were going through Philippi, she was following them apparently for days and following him and saying, these men are servants of the most high God who have come to show you the path of salvation. Now catch that, she's got inside information. (laughs) Like, that's right on the money. And Paul's really getting irritated. And you're thinking, why? Other than the fact that she's yelling all the time. But why? Well, the last thing you want if you're bringing the gospel of the true God the last thing you want is you want a lady with the Python spirit who gives oracles for the god Apollo saying, hey, this guy's telling the truth. It's like you want to distance yourself from that, you know? Like I, I'm preaching, so I don't want all the Jehovah's Witnesses going, listen to this guy, he's really right. It's like, no, no, I'll do it, I'll take this on my own, thank you. Um, so anyway, he finally gets irritated and he casts out the Python spirit. And this leads to the arrest of Paul and Silas because false charges are brought by the owners who've lost all their money. And so Paul and Silas are beaten severely, thrown into the city jail and put in stocks. Well, we don't know what happened to the woman, but what we know is she was set free by the gospel. Now, did she become part of that church? I, I can't say that for sure. It doesn't say. My hunch will be high, high chances, right? High chances. Jesus has freed her. But we don't really know that. She's the second story we have of the gospel, the power of the gospel impacting someone's life. Totally different uh, social uh, scenario. She, she's oppressed. She's used. She's sort of trafficked, if you will. She's abused. She's being used. Right? The third story is of conversion is completely different. This is a Roman bureaucrat. He's a Roman civil servant, uh, very likely a former soldier. Um, and he's, a, he's the man who's in charge of the city jail. So he's in charge of Paul and Barnabas, they're over, you know, I mean, Paul and Silas when they're beaten and put in stocks, he's in charge and through a series of events that I won't go into today, we'll probably talk about later in the series, it's supernatural that they have a chance to share Jesus with their ro- this, this jailer and he comes to Christ and his whole family, his, his household comes to Christ and they're all baptized in the middle of the night. We see the same pattern again. So what I want you to see is three very different people. High class, wealthy, fashionista. Um, you know, she used to have... Ads in Cosmo. Um, she, uh, But then she became a Jew and stopped that. Uh, she, she, you know, she converts to Judaism. She's a church woman, right? You have a picture of her. Second person, lowest class slave girl being abused and used. Third person, middle class Roman bureaucrat. Who probably worships the gods of Rome almost for sure and probably uh, worships Caesar as emperor uh, as part of his official duty there in Philippi. You see how different those three people are? And yet the gospel is for everyone. Like it doesn't matter how successful you are or how much money you have or how much you own or what your businesses are that if you don't know the story of the world. And if you're not part of that story, it's all for naught. You know, it doesn't matter if you've been abused and used like the slave girl. It doesn't matter where you've been or what's been done to you. The gospel is for you. It doesn't matter if you're a middle class, you know, work for the government, you know, kind of a stable person. you're a soldier, you you were in the military, it doesn't really matter. It's like the gospel is for everyone. So three different kinds of people. And what I want you to catch is the gospel is good news for all three. Because at the heart of the gospel, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how successful or a failure. It doesn't matter your social class. It doesn't matter whether you've been abused or used. It doesn't matter whether you're an abuser or the abused. It doesn't matter um, whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, or a cult. It, none of this matters. If you want in, the gospel is for you. Right? So two basic things gospel principles, that the gospel is supernatural, and the gospel is for everyone, right? Now, I want to turn this on us now and say, okay, so two questions for us. They're in your note sheet, the gospel 101, two big questions, and and I want to ask two important questions, one for those of you who know Jesus, and one for those who don't yet. The first one is for those who know Jesus, and it goes like this, do you realize who you are? What Paul says in all his letters in the most amazing terms is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus Christ in reality as their Lord, his or her Lord, that a supernatural work begins in you, that God starts to flip your house, and he is not going to stop until he accomplishes what he started. You know, this week in your life group, and uh, if you're in a life group that's a, a message study life group, that's great. If you're not, for either you're in a different kind of life group or you're not in a life group, I would really encourage you, print off this week's life group study and do it, all right? Because in this week, what we're going to have you do, one of the things we're going to have you do, is I, I want you to study carefully Ephesians chapter 1 in the first half of Ephesians chapter 2. Because in this passage, Paul lays out what happens to a person when they come to Jesus and who you are if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, what I'm going to have you do is a couple things. First, I'm going to have you study it in the New International Version, your normal version. And then after you do that, I'm going to have you pick another translation, either New Living translation or the Message paraphrase, either one. And so you're gonna, if you don't have that, you're gonna need to get, uh, download the app version. This is all in the notes. version. it's a free app at your favorite app store. You download it, and they'll have those versions on there. And then it'd be awesome you'll have that from this point on. But if we had time, we would look at that. We don't have time, so let me tell you some of the highlights. This is what the Apostle Paul says. When a man or woman comes to Jesus, this is what... I know about you. If if Jesus is your Lord, this is what I know about you. Number one, you are deeply loved. That before time began, God chose you. And He chose you, like flip this house, I choose that house. He chose you not simply to be forgiven of all your past, but He chose you to be adopted as His son or His daughter. And on top of that, he has sent the spirit of his son into your life so that you could be transformed to become like your older brother, like your father, the person you're created to be. And on top of that, that he has called each of us, he's called you, to play an important role in this epic drama called the gospel where he's bringing all creation healed and restored under the leadership of our true king, this true king. And then on top of that, he has designed assignments for you and you specifically to carry out before time began. That is who you are. And one of the greatest needs that we have is for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. There is more to you than meets the eye. You know, at the end of last week, or the end of of Philippians 1, Paul says this there in your note sheet, He said, whatever happens, remember we looked at this slide, whatever happens to me, I'm in prison, maybe I'm killed, maybe I'm held longer, maybe I'm released. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a worthy, What? In a manner worthy of the gospel. In a manner worthy of the God. What's He saying? This epic drama that I've just been describing. He said, "That's your story. Live your story. Live your story. Be who you are. Don't you realize who you are?" that you died with him in baptism. You have risen from the grave through the power of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are the temple of the living God. If God is is in you, he is greater than he is in the world. He's got a vision for your your life, a plan for your life. Leave the past behind. Put off the old. Put on the new. Rise up. Be who you are. That is what the Apostle Paul says over and over again. And when he says live a life worthy of the gospel, that's what he means. This is the story. Live your part in the story. Don't go back to the old creation. I don't care who you were. I don't care what your past was. That is past. We have to understand it to move past it many times, but don't let your past define you. Don't let your parents define you. Don't let your spouse define you. Don't let your friends define you. Don't let your culture define you. Rise up and be who you are. You know, the enemy wants to come and he wants to tell us a different story. He wants to hold you down. He wants to remind you of the past, where you came from. And I speak to you as honestly, my brothers and sisters here of color. Can I tell you something? I am so... Thankful you are here. It means so much to me. And I know, I know, not in the way you know, but I know in ways that God is doing a a huge thing in my life the last couple of years. I know that you have suffered. I know that you've often seen a second class. I know that your battle is not the same is the one I fight. And I wanna say to you, there is more to you than meets the eye. And as a church of Jesus, we can't let our color define us. We let the gospel define us. Some of you have been abused Our last baptism, we had two or three women who shared in the last couple of years they've been raped. They shared it publicly here. One young woman shared how she was ready to take her life because her PTSD was so bad after it happening the second time. And then she met Jesus and she said she came the very first time she came to Rocky Peak that I said from this stage, I don't care what's happened to you, I don't care if you've been abused or raped, it's not who you are, it's not what God sees. God brought her on that day to hear that message. Can I tell you something? Some of you have been sinned against. Some of you have been abused, you've been molested, and your whole life that is skewed the way you see yourself because of the evil that was done against you. I am here to tell you that is not who you are that you are a son, you're a daughter of the king, you have been chosen before time, you have been washed, you have been cleansed, not only what you've done, but what was done to you. You have been washed, you have been cleansed, the Holy Spirit of God is in you, God wants to flip your house, right? And so we we can't let the past define us We cannot let our race define us. We can't let our social economics define us. We can't let what others have done against us define us. We have to let the gospel define us. And the gospel says that if you are in Christ, the new creation is come. There is more to you than meets the eye. The second question that I have is for those of you who have not yet given your life to Christ. And the question is, have you responded to the gospel? We've seen today that the gospel is supernatural. No one comes to Jesus on their own. The Lord has to open our heart, draw us, as in Jesus' words, open our eyes. But what I want you to catch is that we also have to respond. I love how Luke describes Lydia's conversion in Acts 16. It said the Lord opened her heart to what? Response, God opened her heart, she had to respond. And she did. So what does it look like to respond to the gospel? Well if you study the book of Acts, right? You see three steps. To respond to the gospel is number one, to repent. To respond to the gospel, it says my life is not my own. I've been living my life of rebellion on my own. I've had my own way of thinking. It was my occult thinking. It was this thinking. It was that thinking. Whatever it is. But I realize now I was wrong. I realize who Jesus is. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to follow him. To repent means to turn. I'm going to turn and follow him, it means number two, to believe, which means more than mental nod to God, like, yeah, I guess so. To believe means to trust. I'm gonna trust my life, I'm gonna trust my future, I'm gonna trust my salvation to King Jesus. So we repent, we believe, and then number three, we're baptized, I don't wanna get into something like, well, you have to be baptized to be saved, I'm not saying that, I'm I'm just saying in the New Testament, Book of Acts, we saw it twice today. This is how you became a follower of Jesus. You repent, you're baptized, you believe, and you're baptized. We're having our next baptism in just a couple months here. And so what I want to challenge you today, you know, when Lydia was there by the river and Paul was sharing the gospel, it says that the Lord opened her heart. I can pretty much guarantee what's going on is she's going crazy on the inside. She, this is what she's been looking for her whole life. And as he's telling her the story of Jesus, she is coming alive. Yes, this is it. But then she had to respond. She had to say, I I want my whole house to hear about this. I I believe, I want want the whole house to believe. We need to all be baptized here. Hey, I need to get involved in this. Come and stay at my house, you see, so to not respond or, or to not say yes to Jesus by default is to say no to Jesus. To put off saying yes to Jesus is to say no. And so if you're here today and the Lord is opening your heart to the gospel, I want to encourage you to take that step. And we're going to bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. And I'm going to give you a chance to ask Jesus into your life to give your life to him. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this incredible gospel that's supernatural from beginning to end. And Lord, as we're here today, and as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and you, the Lord is opening your heart to respond to the gospel, I want to give you a chance. It's to say yes to Jesus. So I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And if this expresses the desire of your heart if you'd pray along with me in your heart and your mind, God will hear. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life and flip my house. I pray for a new creation by your spirit. Teach me how to follow you. And save a spot in that next life for me. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just gave your life to Jesus, first of all, I want to welcome you to the kingdom. If you're sincere, if you're bowing the knee to the king, he will respond to that. And I'd I'd encourage you to do something both for you and for me. Inside your program is a little white card. It's called the Connect Card and what I encourage you to do is just to write your name and so on on the, on the front, all oh, your contact, but on the back, just say, "I asked Jesus into my life, or I gave my life to Jesus." And this week, we'll send you a letter from me to some first steps to help you in this new life as you pursue Jesus. So, Lord, we come now and we worship, we celebrate the death of death, Lord. We celebrate the new life. We celebrate Your work in our life. We celebrate that. The one who began a good work will continue it until the new creation. And Lord, we pray as we bring you our gifts, our offerings, you'd meet us now as we worship you in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?